All right. Well, um, I'm uh, very excited, honored uh, to be here. Um, I do not take this uh, privilege lightly. Um, and uh, it may be a little tough for me to share some things, um, not because it's sad or anything like that. I'm just, I'm so blessed. Um, I have, uh, you know, the most amazing wife um, and uh, that God's blessed me with and, um, and just a wonderful family and, and just even you know, everybody that I know in this room, I've never been at a time in my life when I've been around so many uh, people of substance um, and good man, good people. And I don't mean good, just America good. I mean Christian, believer, you know, on fire for God, good. So I'm going to share a little bit about um, my family and kind of how that interplays with, with all of this. And I kind of I, I wrote a lot of notes. Now, I, you know, I had ADD before it was popular. So, um, so rather than get off in some rabbit hole or something else and just start chatting, I kind of had to write things down. So I'll be kind of looking at, at my notes periodically. Um, but uh, if, I, if I bore you, I'm sorry. Um, most of the time when I'm working, the person is asleep anyway. <clears throat> so... Um, you know, I'm, if, if you're dozing off, I'm going to take that as a sign of trust. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, so, I, I had, uh, when, when Johnny first asked me, I had made a bunch of notes, uh, you know, about speaking at men's breakfast. I, you know, I started just jotting down notes. Oh, man, that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, yes, I got all this. And I mean, I got, I mean, I got scrolling through here. I mean, it's, and so then the Holy Spirit said, meh, yeah, I don't think so. So, um, and so I, as I've been listening in, in church and even last month's, you know, men's breakfast and even listening to Pastor Dean, you know, it's, a lot of it's the same, same kind of theme. And we didn't, we didn't talk ahead of time, but it's that same, same theme about, you know, the substance of our life, the real Jesus and, you know, and that sort of thing. So I, that, so when I thought, well, maybe I should talk about something else, and I realized, no, this, the Holy Spirit is, is, is um, coordinating all of this. And so we don't need to be talking to listen to the same Spirit and kind of have the same heart and all be going in the same direction. And I don't know if, if you know, you guys are like me, but, you know, I really feel things getting ready to happen at this church. And, and it's, and it's going to start, and it's already started, but it starts with the guys in this room. You know, we're the leaders of the, I mean, we're not the paid leaders. Some of us are, but we're not the paid leaders of this church. We're, but we are the leaders. We're the men, and, and if we're not out front, we're, we're going to miss it or we're going to watch it. So, but I know the Holy Spirit's getting ready to roll, and uh, it's already started. And so I want to be a part of it. I want you guys to be a part of it. And one of the things that I feel like is my mission in life is to help men become better, better men. And so he was alluding to that, you know, maybe it's, if, you know, if you're not saved, yeah, we want to get you saved. If you're not, uh, the Holy Spirit isn't influencing your life the way it should. We want that to happen. If, you know, uh, maybe you need to get in a small group, maybe new next move, next step, that sort of thing. So that's where my heart comes from is, is wanting to do that. That doesn't mean we ignore all the other things in life, but I'm going to share with you how my family and some of the things that I've done and how the Holy Spirit has led me through some things have led to 
some pretty amazing things. So, um, Johnny told you about Kelly, wonderful woman. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about her, but she's amazing. Just trust me, you guys. The rest of you guys missed out. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. Um, I, have, I have eight kids. Six are adopted. Um, two are biological. They're all mine. So, you know, people say, well, how many of them are yours? Well, they're all mine. You know, I mean, could you imagine somebody going up to Joseph, you know, about Jesus? And now is that, is that oldest one yours? Is he? Is that? So, anyway. They're, they're, <laughs> So um, I, I started uh, attending a Church on the Move um, about 16 years ago, and that was from the Holy Spirit prompting uh, us to, to be in a different church setting. I, I didn't understand why. I just knew there was a prompting, um, and I'm very loyal, so I'm not just going to make a whimsical decision because I didn't like the music that weekend or the message was goofy or the assistant got up there and, and it just was kind of, you know. So... Um, but, you know, after talking with the pastors at the church we used to went to, you know, they, they said, well, it's kind of like being a doctor. Sometimes you need a specific doctor, and then, and then you don't. You need a different doctor, a different person, or a different person speaking in your life. And so that was kind of Holy Spirit kind of confirming to me that, that we were released to do that. And we ended up choosing Church on the Move, not because of anything amazing, but because it was the first time we'd went and visited a church, and they didn't page us out of service for child care. So um, I know we hear a lot about the commitment to kids ministry and things like that, but that's, that's why I'm here. That's not why I've stayed, but that's, that's why I'm here. So growing up, um, my parents got divorced. So my dad took off. He, um, uh, you know, I think he seemed maybe more interested in other things. Um, there were some financial struggles with the business that, that my mom had got into. And, and um, you know, my my. My mom got remarried, and, and um, so I have a stepdad. He's here. Russ, can you wave? So really just um, provided an anchor of a Christian home that I wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, and thank you. Thank you. And, and really that was kind of the stability of my life of being able to say that I had a Christian home. But I grew up. We were in a Baptist church, and, you know, as a kid, you're pretty observant, and I, I knew that, you know, the Baptist church was a lot about scripture and things like that, but I would notice some kind of discrepancy between maybe some people in the church that look good and talk the talk, but that, that internal substance I wasn't sensing, or I would see something that was maybe out of character for a person that was a deacon or something else, and so I felt like I was still looking uh, for a little substance in my life. I knew, I knew I was saved. I definitely knew I had uh, committed my life to Christ. That was not the issue. Um, but I, I just felt like, you know, there needed to be some more substance to my life. And so I'm kind of searching for that. And I went to ORU. Now, ORU is the total opposite of Baptist reality. So, you know, the Baptist church is, is you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you get saved, you live for Jesus, this is the way Scripture is, all the gifts and all the Holy Spirit stuff and all that other stuff was nice at the you know, Bible times, but basically once Scripture was set, all that stuff went away. And, and I believe that at, at the time. Well, then I went to ORU, and, and ORU is very charismatic, and if you don't know what that means, it's kind of Holy Spirit um, kind of emphasis, you know, baptizing the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and all these other things I had never even experienced. And so I'm there, I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Where are, where are we? And 
So I could sense with that, I could sense the spirit, and I knew that part was real. But again, I was, I was seeing people that were critical of me. I'd, I'd have another 18, 20-year-old kid that was critical of me being a Baptist. Oh, you don't believe in the gifts. You don't believe in the spirit. And then they were the worst person in the dorm wing the whole week. And then they'd go to church or they'd be in chapel, and they're up, you know, they're like, Woo, Jesus! You know, and I'm like, uh, dude, you're living like total opposite of this, you know, the rest of the time. And so, so again, I'm, I'm kind of, where's the substance in all this? So I'm, I'm, I, knew the, I knew scripture, I knew there was the Holy Spirit, but I hadn't really seen them mesh together in any kind of any substance. So I started looking, I, you know, it really made me kind of dig into the Bible with all this stuff. And so, you know, I started looking more into the Holy Spirit. I started looking more into the gifts and, again, trying to find substance. And, and what I kind of concluded at the time was that, you know, I could control the fruit of the Spirit because that was a direct action based on my decisions, but I couldn't necessarily control the gift. So I thought, well, I'm going to focus on the fruit and, and substance that way and not so much get tied up in all the other things. Not that the other things aren't important, but even if you look at, you know, Corinthians and all that stuff, when it's talking about the gifts, it, it really says if you do this without love, which is a gift or a fruit, then it really doesn't mean anything. So I thought, okay. I can do this. I can start and kind of started my own little journey. But again, with the substance, I'm trying to think, what does the Bible say about who I should be? Should I have a quiet time for 30 minutes a day? Should it be an hour? Um, should I do it in the morning? Should I, how often should I be praying? And, and so I kind of got, you know, again, searching for all that. And I, well, James 1.27 kind of stuck out to me. And it, you know, basically says that pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Now, that's not the sole focus of Christianity, but again, it was an action where you're reaching out, you're doing something different than just taking care of yourself. You know, you're reaching out and, and, and taking care of people that, that have a true physical, spiritual, or, or emotional need. Also tied in with that was the verse before that, which is that you need to keep a tight rein on your tongue. So now it's kind of starting to make sense to me a little bit. If you're acting like you're doing all this stuff, you could even be doing good actions, but if you don't control your tongue, that's going to, it doesn't disqualify you, but it, it doesn't make you the witness that you could be. And so I got all this background stuff stirring um, with this, and, and so I kind of progressing through my life, I get married. We know we want to adopt, um, even before we had biological kids, so that was kind of in our heart. And so I'm going to just tell you about my kids. And, and kind of, so Anna was our first one, and, and her birth mom got pregnant at 16 uh, through some unconsensual sex. It was one of those things where, yeah, they were kind of at a party, and then things were supposed to stop, and they didn't. And so um, she became pregnant. She would have aborted Anna if the pregnancy test had been positive. So she took several tests, knew something wasn't right. None of the pregnancy tests were tripping until about, oh, almost eight months. And so then at that point, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to have the baby now. And so, so she went to an open adoption agency, and we had put in a book to do that. And so we were selected. And, um, and so it was an open adoption, and back, you know, Anna's 21. So back then, open adoption was not kind of the norm. Um, I mean, some of it was out there, but we really felt like we need to be out there for Anna. We felt like that was what God was wanting us to do, to keep that open, to be a relationship for the birth mom. And we just felt like we're going to put the child and the birth mom above ourselves in, in all of this. And so 
Um, we had a piece about this, and, and six months after Anna was born, Anna's birth mom accepted the Lord through the relationship with Kelly in the adoption agency. And, and so really the, all that went very smoothly. Anna's, you know, Anna graduated from Lincoln. She's at ORU right now. Uh, thinks she wants to be a doctor. We'll see how that works out. So, um, so then we had, um, uh, then we adopted another boy, or so we thought. We had a baby boy for two weeks uh, in our home. Anna had a little baby brother for two weeks, and then the mom changed her mind. And we were very upset. We, we knew that, that we would be better parents for that child than that, that birth mom could in our arrogance and you know, self-righteousness and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and so when the mom changed her mind, um, obviously that was a, that was a big blow. And, but we just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling us, to take the baby back ourselves, not to go give it to the adoption agency and let them take it back and not to do some vindictive thing like, well, here, hand the baby off naked and run. We felt like we needed to go um, take the baby back with all his stuff that we were given for him. Now, we had had a shower. Where's Frank? Frank Garner. We had had kind of like an impromptu baby shower when we got the baby uh, two weeks earlier, and so we had friends coming over, all sorts of, we had diapers, formula, car seat, all this stuff, and, um, and we just felt like that's his. So when we went back, we gave him back directly to his birth mom with all of his stuff. We wanted to bless her, and we certainly didn't want him, but it was very tough to put her before us, but that's what we felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to do. And, and again, that, that feeling like, well, she doesn't know what she's doing. You know, there's no way she can take care of this kid the way he needs a father. You know, he's not going to have a father. And God in his infinite wisdom knew exactly what he needed. And for some reason, he just needed us for about two weeks. And I, I don't know why, but God has allowed us to see into his life over the last several years. And he was, he was biracial, and his birth mom was white, but she married a black man. So he got to grow up in a home with a black father, and he is doing well. Um, you know, if I would, you guys, a lot of you would probably know who it is. That's how much we know about what's going on with his life. Now, that part of the story is not mine to tell, but he's doing well. And I'm very proud of him. I'm very pleased with how he's doing, and, and God is awesome. Because he, he knew. And so whatever I was feeling about being better, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was wrong. And I'm, I'm happy to be used by God for that. Um, we then had a, another baby boy that we thought we were going to adopt, and the mom changed her mind in the hospital. Um, and um, so, and again, this was another adoption before we were trying to have children. Um, and so he's born. And we're trying to think of a boy's name, and I, we can't come up with a name. There's like this mental block. And it started hitting me that it's not a mental block, it's a spiritual block. And the Holy Spirit said, she's going to keep the baby. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And so when I talked with Kelly, she asked me what I think. I said, she's going to keep the boy. And so we, we went back to the hospital, and, and we went into the room, and, and we said, we know you're keeping him. And we prayed with her, and again, wanting to to be kind of take the higher ground, if you will, or not, you know, we didn't want to destroy our 
relationship with her as it related to being a Christian example. And so we just prayed with her and left the hospital. Didn't think too much about it, um, other than it was obviously crushing, but there wasn't any next step for us. There, you know, if the mom doesn't, you know. And a couple years later, she ends up as a trauma patient at the hospital for me to take care of. And it was just an opportunity to get back into her life and to bless her and to bless the little boy. And I got to see the little boy. And she brought him back in the follow-up office visit. And I'm glad I didn't have that kid, by golly. I'll tell you what, right there. No. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> but we just, you know, Kelly just bought a bunch of gifts, blessed her. Um, we <laughs> rekindled the relationship a little bit. And, you know, later on she asked the adoption director, you know, why... Why would they do this? Why, after I've hurt them, would they still reach out to me and be gracious to me? And she got an opportunity to share with her that that's just the love of Jesus that, that the Lord wants to show to you through other people. Um, so then we go to Mariah, and if you know me, you know Mariah. So we finally get to keep one. So, um, but, you know, she was born with blood in her amniotic fluid. She had to go to the ICU for several days. Um, we didn't know why she was sick. Um, she looked fine. She looked healthy. Um, you know, I'm a surgeon and, you know, critical care doctor. And, but, you know, talking to some of these ICU pediatric doctors, it's, it's like, you know, they don't even know what they're doing half the time. Everybody's on antibiotics and IV fluids, and we're getting another x-ray. I'm like, what, what, what are we treating? You know? So, um, so you know, and so you just kind of let it go. You know, I'm, I'm trying not to be that, that, that guy, you know? So, um, but what we found out later was the placenta was torn, and the boyfriend of her birth mother had tried to kill Mariah by punching her uh, at about eight months pregnant. So, um, but, you know, I can't imagine not having Mariah. Um, but if we'd had that second boy, we wouldn't have Mariah. So I know, you know, God, God doesn't create the bad events, the disasters or whatever. He uses us uh, in situations that we're in, you know. Um, but I can't imagine not, not having Mariah. I just wouldn't, you know. And so, she, you know, she graduated from Lincoln. She's at ORU now. Um, Colby... Uh, is our next one. He's also adopted. It's a friend's sister who was in a very abusive relationship and was already parenting a child. So, um, you know, she didn't feel like she could raise another child. But, you know, the issue with that was we had to wait months and months and months for rights termination because he was abusive. He would have been vindictive. If she would have signed away her rights as a birth mom, he would have tried to get him. And then Colby would be in a guy that was getting ready to go to jail for abusing children. And so... Um, so just a very special, I got to deliver Colby. That was kind of a neat little thing, another little story, but I'll tell you more about Colby a little bit later. Um, um, other than to say security and the principals have me on speed dial for Colby. So I'll just, you know, but, uh, um, I want to kind of make sure I move it here. So Colton is our first biological child. And this was then we had several infertility attempts between, um, Colby and, and having Colton. So we went through the whole deal of all the shots and, you know, the running home because it's time. I'm like, I'm on call. I'm waiting to do a surgery. It's time. I'm like, 
you know, I mean, I think it'd be a burden, you know. So, <coughs> <coughs> um, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's not your time in life to understand. <laughs> so, um, but after that, we just stopped. Nothing happened. We just kind of put it all in God's hands, and and then she was pregnant uh, with Colton. And the thing I'll say about that is, it's okay to do all those things that you think you need to do. If you're pursuing a dream or you're doing things, it's okay to do the normal things that man does. So the normal things that man does for infertility is infertility stuff. So shots and ultrasounds and that stuff's all okay. But at some point, you know, God can intervene whenever he, he chooses to. And if, as long as we're trusting him in the process. And, you know, where that was kind of interesting is I'm going to kind of divert for a little bit, but there was a gal named Vicki that came in as a trauma patient. And so I'm evaluating her for a car wreck, but she's an ORU nursing student. I was an ORU student. So we start talking. She tells me she's got a breast lump and she's waiting for God to heal her of the breast lump. And so I felt the breast lump and I could tell right away it was a cancer. I just, there's some things that you can tell when you feel that you just know and so it's not an issue of not having faith. It's not an issue of doubt. It's not an issue of being a negative. It's just the reality of that's your assessment at the time. Well, um, you know, being a surgery resident and, you know, still not maybe as scripturally sound as I could be with things, all I could think of was Lazarus. And so I'm now take, I'm talking about somebody that died in the Bible and somebody that I've just told probably has breast cancer. So it's really not a good mix. You know, it's like, well, let me tell you about this guy that died. You know, speaking of breast cancer, there's a guy back in the Bible that died. But, but, but here's where <laughs> the Holy Spirit uses sometimes despite yourself. And so, but what I, what I shared with her was, I said, look, G Lazarus was Jesus' friend. They came and told um, Jesus that Lazarus had died. And Jesus kept doing what Jesus was doing, which he does a lot. He did that with, you know, Jairus' daughter. You know, he got, I don't know if you got, I know the woman with the issue of blood, but she's sandwiched in between this guy, Jairus, who had his daughter was really, really sick. So they come up and they're like, hey, Jesus, my daughter's really, really sick. She's going to probably going to die. Can you come help her? And like, yeah, yeah, I'll come. So he starts strolling, strolling through a crowd a big crowd, and all of a sudden, this woman with a chronic disease, 12 years, been seeing a lot of doctors, it can wait. I mean, if I had seen this in the ER, I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? We got somebody bleeding to death over here, and you've had this for 12. What changed now that you need, this, you need the almighty God to come save the day? But anyway, because he's on his way to help this girl. Well, anyway, Jesus stops, has a conversation with her. I mean, I'm sure they're going, if they had watches, they're probably like these little sundial things or something. I don't know, you got to hold it, right? Like, we got this girl dying over here. We don't really have time for the old lady with the blood thing, really. I mean, come back, circle back around or whatever. And, but anyway, they, so the girl dies by the time he gets there. And the people were doing what they do. They had mourners, the whole thing. They just did the normal process. And of course, they thought had Jesus been there sooner, you know, and they mocked him that he was, you know, raise her from the dead and all that stuff, and he did it anyway. He didn't need to be there sooner. He got there when he got there. It was his timing. So back to Lazarus. So I just said, look, when Lazarus died, they buried him. They didn't leave him propped up in a chair, acting like everything was totally fine, and have Jesus come over and say, yeah, he looks good. Yeah. You know, they did what man does. And so I said, why don't you do what man does with this lump? What man does with this lump is we take it out. We biopsy it. 
we check the lymph nodes, and then we do the treatments. And if God wants to intervene, if, God, if I get ready to do the surgery and that lump's gone, that's awesome. Man, God can, God can certainly do that. But if he doesn't, let's just believe that the lymph nodes are negative. Let's believe that it's the most favorable diagnosis that we can get. And so we did the surgery. Um, we had done a little biopsy. It was cancer. Did The lymph nodes were all negative, so you didn't need any other ther therapy. Basically, the surgery cured her. But what it did is it allowed her to not die of something because she had a false belief that you can't do what man would do and God can intervene at any time. So now that's not Vicky's story. Vicky's story is she finished nursing school, went to Africa. She's a missionary. And she gives me way too much credit for that. But that's, there was somebody Satan tried to kill that now is a nurse over in Africa. So... <clears throat> All right, so now we'll get back to the kids. So Jaden, um, I think if we had had Jaden, we'd have been done. <clears throat> Jaden is a sweet girl, I, but she was in the ICU um, um, because of mixed, mixed blood. She had some blood mix because Kelly had her knee lock. Kelly needed urgent knee surgery and a C-section at the same time. So, I mean, the woman is absolutely amazing. So she, you know, like 38 weeks, her, her knee locks up like this, and she can't straighten it. So she's doing this and crutches and the whole deal, and she got the belly out to here. And, and um, so I'm talking to my orthopedic buddy. I'm like, hey, we got to get this fixed. But I'm like thinking we can't do surgery at 38 weeks because the baby's going to want to pop out. And then you got that whole issue going on there because, you know, babies don't like anesthesia at 38 weeks unless it's for them. You know, they're all about themselves. <laughs> so... Um, so she has, you know, this emergency surgery, or not really emergency, but we had to schedule kind of urgent. So she's getting this big, fancy meniscus repair. She had had an ACL done before, and then, then Jaden's born, has to be a C-section. But the blood mix, so she had to be in the ICU, and they didn't really know why. Again, it's these ICU doctors. Well, we're going to put her on antibiotics, check some blood work, and get an x-ray in the morning. I'm like, what are we treating? Well, we'll see how things turn out. And I'm um, like, you know, and... Um, so anyway, she was the largest baby in the ICU, you know, screaming her head off. Just they had to put her in a different room. And, and so um, anyway, so she's a, she's a seventh grader at, at uh, Lincoln. And I, she's probably the only one I probably haven't got called by the principal on, uh, I think. But anyway, so um, now then we got pregnant again, and there was a miscarriage, and and I'm kind of going to skip over a lot of that stuff. I, she had gotten pregnant. Then I was diagnosed with lymphoma. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. I had to go through chemo. You know, the doc said, hey, do you want to save your sperm? I'm like, no, I'm okay. You know, and we were already pregnant. You know, just the thought of that process was not even appealing. And so we, we um, but we were already pregnant when I was diagnosed. So I'm thinking, hey, we're going to have another kid. It's all good. We're good on that. We're good on the sperm thing. Thanks. Well, she miscarried, and so now I got this chemo-blitzed, you know, stuff going on in my boys, and I'm like, it's okay, we got, we're good at five kids, and so, um, and, and so, and that went very uneventful, that's a, a story for another day, but, um, so then, then Cruz came along, and now you guys don't know who Cruz is, but he would have been our third biological child, and I, I actually was upset when I found out that Kelly was pregnant, not because it wasn't me that was the father. Um, that would have been a whole different type of set. <clears throat> but, and by the way, if you want to take your wife off the market, get married, marry a hot chick, and then get eight kids. She ain't going anywhere, okay? It's not like, you know, she's a pig farmer's daughter, so it's not like she could go on 
farmersonly.com and start, you know, you know, late 40s female looking for, you know, eight kids, you know, so, you know, but anyway, so, but I was, I was, I was selfishly upset about, about the pregnancy, and I, I, I kind of felt bad about it, but that's, that, I'm just being honest with you, so, well, then we got a bad ultrasound report at, at 21 weeks, and, and so I, I was praying John 10, 10, you know, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but uh, I come to give you life and, and more abundantly, and I was, I was praying that, I, I, I question whether I was really believing that. I mean, I, but, but also on the same sense, I, knew, I felt like the Spirit was telling me where this was going. And I think that sounds negative, and I don't, if the Holy Spirit is saying something negative to me, it usually doesn't have fear attached to it. Um, and so if you get something and you, you feel like you're trying to figure out, is the Holy Spirit talking to you, not talking to you? If it's generating a lot of fear, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. If it's negative, but it's generating peace, then it's, it's God just preparing you for another route. That's, that's the way I think about that. So, um, but we had this bad ultrasound. Well, the next week her water broke in the middle of the night. I, I knew this wasn't going to go well. And, and so she actually had to deliver the baby, but, but he was already dead. And, um, and that was a horrible experience for Kelly. Absolutely horrible. I mean, it months and months of, of, of kind of getting over that, and and I actually felt relieved, and I'm actually ashamed to say that, but I feel like I need to tell you that because that's just how I felt. But I think it, what it goes into is God dealt with my heart on that, and that's and again that's not where that story ends. So I felt relieved. God said, "Yeah, I didn't put the baby there to mess up your life. I didn't, you know, and and I didn't kill the baby." but you need to deal with your heart on this. And so God really dealt with me, and that, and that heart change then paved the way for our next three boys. And had we had Cruz or God not dealt with my heart, we would have never had the next three boys. So Christian, Brock, and Dane were um, uh, three boys that were taken out of their home by DHS. And I was on a mission trip with my older three kids, and, and so Kelly's gets asked to help, hey, can you find a pl help place these kids? They weren't asking us to do it. They were just, you know, knew we had adopted kids. And, and so Kelly's sending me pictures of the kids, and the girls are looking over my shoulder and like, oh, we should keep them, like, <laughs> like they're puppies or something, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, and, you know, sometimes with kids, I feel like we're kind of like people with cats. You know, there's eight of them running around somewhere, but it's, it's uh, not really. I'm just, you know. Um, but... I, I, I felt a peace in my heart about where I knew where this was going. You just know. Um, and um, so, and again, to me, it was just obeying scripture. It was, again, back to that pure and undefiled religion. These are orphans. They need a home. Um, we'll step up and do it if, if nobody does. And, um, but my heart was in the right place uh, for this. And um, so... That's, that's kind of the story of my kids. Now kind of, let's kind of stir back to this whole thing of substance and motives. Well, you know, I, I had been doing some missions, and, and, you know, as you go through life, you always kind of think, you know, I was camping, you know, like um, do this survivor myth thing with Mike Shields. Where's Mike at? Where's Mike? Mike's over there. So survivor my group, Lee Martin and Brian Job do Mountain Man. It's kind of these things where you get out with a bunch of guys, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm cleaning my little metal cup out, 
And, a, and a, it's just dawning on me that, you know, really God's more concerned about the inside of the cup than he is the outside of the cup. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, I want this clean. I don't want to be drinking out of any nasty cup. And I'm thinking that's the way your life needs to be. So I'm thinking, well, what, what all this stuff I'm doing, is this, is, should I be doing this? Is it, am I doing it for, am I doing it to check a box? Am I still searching for substance and this is a way to quench that? Um, am I doing it just because I knew it was the right thing to do? Um, you know, not that those things are wrong. It was cool travel. I mean, I got to go to Haiti after the earthquake. I got to go to Nepal after an earthquake and, and, and be a doctor and, 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 you know, share the gospel. But at some cool places, was it making me a better person? Was it just because I wanted to help people that were less fortunate? Um, but I wanted to be obedient and I felt like this is what I should be doing. I started bringing my kids. I wanted to be uh, an example for them. I wanted to show them give them a little perspective on things. And, and what I started realizing was that the journey or the trip or the mission is not even just about the person you're helping or about you, but it's actually also about the team that goes on that mission. And I'm thinking, I'm going with my kids. I want to minister to them. I'm meeting people from other parts of the country. I want to minister to them. It's not just about these 200 patients a day that I'm going to see, but there's some other things there. And so I knew it was much more than that, and so I started asking the Holy Spirit to prepare my heart for those interactions when we would go on these things. Well, my dad started wanting to go. Now, this is my biological dad, the one that kind of left. He was kind of, you know, and he's, I, I love my dad. He's a great guy. He's a nice guy. He would be your best friend in a second if, if you met him. Clint got a chance to meet him on this last mission trip, and so... But I don't know that, you know, I kind of question his motives of going. Why did he want to go? Was it because he wanted to spend time with his son? You know, kind of that cat's in the cradle thing. You know, and here he is. He's 78 years old. Doesn't feel like he spent enough time with his son. So he'll go on a missions trip, and he can say, well, I've helped the little people, and i got to spend time with my son. And, and so, I, honestly, I just, I kind of tolerated him going. It wasn't that I didn't want him to go, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything on my radar as far as trying to deal with. And I didn't really have any expectations. Interestingly enough, a few months earlier, I had given him a book that we had went through in our small group. I gave him this book called Fathered by God. We had went through it, and I thought, well, this would be a neat thing for him. Now, just a, a little bit about small groups. Um, Mike had invited me to small group. I'd kind of been lukewarm to the idea. You know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm a surgeon. I got eight kids. I'm coaching championships. I don't, this is what Johnny says. I don't have, I don't have time to be in a small group. You know, I mean, if anybody had an excuse to be, and I'm doing everything Pastor Kirby says to do. I mean, I'm taking the big rocks, and I'm putting the big rocks in the jar first. I mean, I, when, when, when Johnny says it's all on my phone, it literally is. The way I make my schedule is kid stuff all goes in, family stuff all goes in, and then surgery and office and call and all that other stuff fits in later. And if I even remotely think that I'm not going to be done with surgery in time to go to a game, I don't schedule that surgery. Now, if somebody's dying, I, you know, I might... I might leave the lake to come help somebody from dying. <clears throat> but but that's, that's kind of how I prioritize things. And, and again, a whole other aspect of, of my identity as a surgeon and malpractice cases and things like that, again, a whole other story. But my identity is not tied up in being a surgeon. So I, that's not who I am. Um, it used to be, and God dealt with me on that, but a whole different thing. But anyway, so... The small group thing was not really where I wanted to be, but <clears throat> Mike invited me. I started going. Then I started leading a small group. Then we go through this book. Well, it's fathered by God. So it's talking about all these different stages 
that men go through is their development. So I'm leading the group, but I'm thinking, this is great. I'm going to get a C. And I mean, really, I was kind of excited. I'm going to get a C where I got gypped out of all the things that I should have had by having my biological father in my house when I was younger. That was my attitude, horrible attitude. Just, I mean, crappy attitude. I'm just being honest, crappy attitude. And so, um, so as we go through it, then all of a sudden I'm realizing, God, my dad had a crappy childhood. I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't even know how he survived his childhood. It gave me a whole different perspective on, on that. And so what I decided to do was not realize how much I'd been gypped out, but I said, I'm going to have him start reading this book just to do that. So he comes on missions. He's been reading a little bit of the book. And he's kind of, he's again in that mode where he's just, he wants to do the safe jobs. You know, I'll do pharmacy or I'll help people kind of get from point A to point B. Well, then all of a sudden he's watching my children, he's watching Colby share a scripture with the missions group about, you know, the plans that God has for you. He's watching my other daughter run a pharmacy with all these medications like she's done it a million times she had. I would take Anna with me to a disaster zone in a second before I'd probably take any of you because I know she knows what she's doing. Um, <laughs> and, and remember, I didn't have any expectations of my dad on this. He was kind of long for the ride, you know, kind of more social, but now he's watching this. I got Jaden, who's just turned 12, and she's, she's excited that she gets to pray for people. She's excited she gets to help Clint Patterson fit people for glasses. And, and, and doing that. And then Colton is over here. He's 14, praying for people to accept the Lord, praying for people to be healed of what they're sick of. And my dad's watching this. So from the beginning of the week to the end of the week, my dad goes from this kind of passive observer, cats in the cradle moment with my son to, uh, do you think I could be in the prayer room at some point during the day? <clears throat> and so by the end of the week, my dad is praying for people to be saved. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, and so he goes from kind of this passive participant to an engaged necessity of the group. God is using him. God needed him there, and so he, so we leave and missions, and he actually finishes the book now. He's a little more motivated to finish the book, kind of been dabbling in it, and his thought was, well, what is, what's in this, what am I going to get out of this? I'm, I'm 78 years old, what am I going to get out of this? And he said all the things that everybody else says about not being in small groups or not being plugged in or being too busy focusing on their family. But um, he finally got to the point where he finished it. He wants to tell his buddies about the book. He wants me to send more books. He went to church in his, where he lives for the first time. And all that from watching God use my kids just that way. And, and so it was such an amazing gift to get back to me. So what, how does this all <clears throat> apply to you guys, or what, is this, what does this mean? You know, God will leave the 99 to go get the one. You know, so I know my dad was an important thing for him, but for you guys, maybe it's um, where do you have to be plugged in? You know, as a surgeon, the body works in a whole different way. They need us. The Lord needs you to be the liver, or you to be the spleen, or you to be the arm. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I'm busy. I have a lot of kids. I got a lot going on. But God has allowed me to use my time in a way that glorifies him. And I think if I can motivate you to figure out what, like Pastor Dean said, what's your next step? What is the next thing for you? Where do you need to go next? Um, let the Holy Spirit lead you and do that. But don't ignore it. And it's not that I'm going to come up with something. 
the Holy Spirit's already telling you what it is. You just need to listen. So thank you very much.